Hi everyone, I'm Cindy Mooring, the Founder and Executive Chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Walton College of Business, and this is the Business Integrity School Podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, and most importantly, in your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real-world experience as a senior executive, so if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome. Let's get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Business Integrity School. We have a very special guest with us today, Jane Norberg. Hi, Jane. Hello. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. Let me tell you guys a little bit about Jane and uh, what an honor it is to have her with us today. And then we'll jump right into the questions. Jane is now a partner at Arnold and Porter, where she represents public and private companies, financial institutions, individuals and investment advisors on sensitive whistleblower and other complex matters. And the reason she is so qualified to do that is prior to joining Arnold and Porter, Jane was the chief of the office of the whistleblower at the Securities and Exchange Commission. Jane joined that office just shortly after its inception in like 2012 as deputy chief. Four years later, she became the chief and she really helped develop that entire office and lead the program, um, like I said, nearly since its inception. She also has extensive experience and knowledge regarding whistleblower retaliation, which we'll get into a bit in this uh, video podcast. She's also a former special officer in the Division of Enforcement at the SEC, and interestingly, also a former special agent with the United States Secret Service. So Jane, Wow. It is a true honor to have you here today. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm happy to do it. Well, I have to ask you first, how did you find your way from like being a special agent with the Secret Service to the Office of the Whistleblower at the SEC? Yeah, it's funny. Whenever anyone asks me that question, I always joke it's like the long and winding road. Yeah. Um, so when you're thinking about a career path, um, it, it isn't always linear and it isn't always what you thought it was going to be when you started out. Um, and so I, I was a special agent with the Secret Service and that was really right out of college. Um, and so I was with them and I went to law school at night um, oh, during wow. part of my stint as a, as a Secret Service agent. Um, and so I was not only um, law school law school by night, I was also, um, you know, a- a- arresting people who were bringing in <laughs> counterfeit <laughs> money through JFK Airport as well during the day. So it was it was quite a quite an experience. Maybe not your average law school experience. But, no. Um, <laughs> Um, but from from there, um, I did go to work at a, at a larger law firm in New York City, where I practiced of all things, which sounds like nothing like what I'm doing now, but it was executive um, compensation and benefits. Yeah. And so yeah. dealt a lot with, um, at that time, there's a big boom in IPOs and mergers and acquisitions and um, helping with the, the stock options and, and um, incentives for executives and employees and making sure everything meshed. Um, underneath the, the for, for the companies and underneath the law. And so sure. that brings me to the SEC um, because I had to deal a lot with the um, Securities Exchange Act of you know 1934. And right. so um, I always had a real interest in disclosures and how those disclosures could potentially impact investors. Mm. Um, but I lived in New York City. And so the thought of working at the SEC never really crossed my mind. Sure. But um, some personal events ha- led us down to the DC area. 
Um, and so when I arrived here, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next. Um, and I had young children yes. and I wasn't sure exactly, you know, where, where, you know, what I was going to do next. And then, um, a, a, an old colleague told me about this new office, the office of the whistleblower, um, that was opening at the SEC and that they were, you know, seeking a deputy chief. And I knew I always wanted to work at the SEC. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting because it's a new office. Yeah. And so I, you know, put in my resume, threw my hat in the ring and was lucky enough to be, to be selected for that position, which has totally, you know, changed my whole career trajectory. Oh yeah. And I love the fact that you described it as sort of this, it's not always linear. It can be a bit of a winding path. And uh, I always encourage students to think about their careers that way, because, you know, you just never know. Uh, so that's great. So, all right, you ended up at the uh, SEC whistleblower's office. It was brand new. You're the deputy chief. How did that office even come into being? What's its main purpose? Yeah, so it it was established pursuant to the, Dod the Dodd-Frank Act. And you all may recall, or maybe you're too young to recall, but <laughs> it was really born out of a out of a financial crisis right. in um, in 2008, um, and it, it was at the same time that that financial crisis was happening. Um, there was also this thing happening with a Ponzi scheme that was being perpetrated by somebody called Bernie Madoff, which I'm oh, sure yeah. you've heard of. Yes, um, and and at that time there was a, a a very famous whistleblower who testified in Congress. Um, talking about how he had reported out to the SEC and other agencies and that he felt that the SEC had not taken appropriate action with respect to his tip. How interesting. Um, multiple tips, multiple tips. Uh -huh. um, and the issue there was that his information was going to the SEC, it was going to different regional offices um, uh -huh. and it wasn't all contained in one place. And so not only did the Dodd-Frank Act um, put in place the Office of the Whistleblower, but separate and apart, the SEC realized, you know, after sort of kind of taking it on the chin, so to speak, right. over the Bernie Madoff, um, and rightfully so, over the right. Bernie Madoff debacle, um, they realized, gosh, we need to have like a centralized triaging mechanism. Mm -hmm. And so they put in place something called the Office of Market Intelligence. Mm -hmm. And that office actually triages every single tip that comes into the SEC, including whistleblower tips, so that, mm -hmm. so that nothing falls through the cracks. So even if somebody sends a tip to say the Boston Regional Office, um, it's all yes. getting flows down to one office who's looking at every single piece of intelligence that comes into play to make connections and determine if there's something material happening. Um, and so that was a long-winded way to say that the Office of the Whistleblower you know, came out of the, the Dodd-Frank Act. And the whole purpose is to incentivize information, individuals with information to report it to the, to the SEC if it involves a possible securities law violation. Mm -hmm. And in return um, for that, what the whistleblower gets is they get confidentiality protection, meaning that the SEC cannot and will not identify a whistleblower outside the commission unless it's pursuant to, um, for example, like a, a discovery request if the whistleblower, for example, might be a witness for the SEC. Mm -hmm. And um, pursuant to the, the, the rules of discovery, um, the, the accused has a right to know if the person might have a monetary interest in the outcome mm -hmm. of the matter. So then that person might have to be identified. But other than that, I mean, it's a rare day when the SEC would have to identify a whistleblower outside of the commission. 
the other thing that they get is anti-retaliation protections, which I know uh-huh. we're going to talk a little bit more about later. Yeah. And then finally, and probably the thing that gets all of the attention grabbing headlines are the monetary awards. So yeah. the potential to get a monetary award um, if the information is, is so specific, timely, and credible that the commission brings an enforcement action where over $1 million in monetary sanctions are ordered then that individual, um, assuming they're eligible, otherwise eligible, um, can receive between 10 and 30% of amounts collected in that matter. And it can be quite substantial. Yeah, that really is the incentive for a number of individuals um, is the the monetary awards. And it's been pretty eye-popping, at least in the last year, uh, which again, we'll talk about in a minute. But let's talk about how how those incentives have worked in terms of the just the number of tips. Like, Give us a sense of the size of the SEC whistleblower program. Um, How many how many tips have come in in the 10 years and you know how many tips come in and then let's say in the last year what what does that look like is it increasing or decreasing i mean what what is it yeah it's it's increasing honestly to numbers that i never thought would have happened when when the uh, program first started um running uh, you know just to harken back to like when i started and the yeah that's getting off the ground i mean we didn't know, you know, where we're going to get tips. I mean, obviously we figured we'd get some, we had no idea if the program was going to be successful. Um, and, and thankfully, you know, the tips did start, did start coming in, um, you know, small numbers at first, but it has gone up is increased year after year after year to the point where last fiscal year, um, and when I say last fiscal year, I mean, the end of September through the end of September, 2021. Right. Um, they, the SEC received over 12,000 whistleblower tips, which is up um, from 6,900 that they received the year before. So wow. if you think about that, almost double in yeah. one and yeah. it's, a, it's like a true like anomaly. Like if you look at the chart, um, if, if the students have an opportunity to take a look at the annual report to Congress, You'll, if you look at that chart, it's quite stark because you see like these small changes and then all of a sudden just this huge long line of like, wow, look at that. Look at that. Look at all those uh-huh. tips came in, in the last fiscal year. Uh-huh. Yes. Well, we'll drop that report in the show notes for sure. And given that the government's fiscal year is the end of September, we may be able to also include the, the 2022 uh, report in the show notes. We'll see. But yeah, I mean, so it has really, really been increasing. Um, well, at least it did in, in 2021 and seems to have gone up every year. Um, what are the main types of allegations that that come in and has that changed over time? Interestingly, it it hasn't. So Hmm. when whistleblowers submit tips, they are the ones selecting the allegation category. So if you went in, there would be a question that says, you know, what are you, um, what is your complaint about? Uh And there would be a number of categories that they can select from. And the top three have remained the same since the beginning of the program. And they are manipulation, um, complaints about corporate disclosures and financials mm-hmm. and offering fraud. Um, okay. This past year was the first time we had full year of data on some new and emerging um, areas of interest. So, so for example, cryptocurrencies yeah. and crypto coin offerings, which have been a real focus of the SEC recently. Yes. Last fiscal year was the first time they had full year data on that. And I think there was 6% of the tips came in under 
cryptocurrencies versus the, uh, just so you have an idea, the uh, highest category of manipulation was like 25%. Okay. It was, it was, it, it sounds much smaller, but it actually wasn't. I think it was maybe yeah. the highest, highest thing around the cryptocurrencies. Yeah. Can you give us just a little bit of a flavor when we say manipulation or corporate disclosures and financials or offering fraud? Like, what does that mean? Yeah. So when you're thinking about corporate disclosures and financials, that's usually, um, so they're offering documents that are given out to investors, or I shouldn't even say it doesn't have to be in the offering documents. It can be in a statement, in um, a press release, mm-hmm. be in an annual proxy statement or 10K, those types of filings that a public company must do. Right. The SEC, there are certain requirements um, under the law of what they have to disclose to investors. And the whole point is, to make sure investors have the right, um, accurate and complete yeah. information in order to invest in a yeah. company, make, to make that investment decision, right? Right, right. And so that's what the SEC is very is very focused on, is, mm-hmm. is our investors getting this right information. Yeah. And so a lot of times um, a whistleblower may come in and say, um, the company said this in their um, annual report to um, in their annual report to, to shareholders. But in fact, I know, uh, because I'm an employee of the company that that is not accurate, that oh, in fact, wow. they omitted this information. Um, and so, so something along those lines. And, and one thing uh, that's kind of a hot topic that I'll mention disclosures, um, to give you an example. So hot topic right now is ESG, right? You can't mm, right. Like, look anywhere without hearing about environmental, social and governance. Right. Area. And the SEC is very focused on disclosures related to those topics. So, mm-hmm. so much so that the SEC is um, reportedly even looking at companies' websites or their corporate sustainability reports. And so every company wants to now say, I'm, a, I'm this like, you know, great corporate um, you know, citizen um, doing all this great stuff for the planet and very environmentally friendly. And that's great. Um, but sometimes I think companies might take it just a step too far and not be able to back it up. Yeah. And that's really what the, what the company, uh, what the SEC is looking at yeah. to make sure that those types of disclosures are um, accurate. Yeah. And that, the, the, you know, that's a real evolving field. There are a number of um, regulations that are, you know, currently in the pipeline that may come into uh, uh, effect shortly, especially on the environmental side and how far upstream companies are going to have to go to report that. So yeah, I think there is a big scramble on right now to really be able to back up that data. So that's, uh, that's certainly is an evolving topic as well as crypto. I think that we'll probably continue to see that. I don't know if it'll ever overtake the top three since it's been that way for the last 10 years, but, uh, but that'll be interesting to watch. Okay, so let's talk about who who can report in um, tips to the SEC's office of the whistleblower. Is it just people here in the United States or can people from outside the United States um, also submit tips? How does that all work? Yeah, anybody. Anybody can submit a tip. Um, it was written, I think, intentionally broad um, because it, just going back to the Bernie Madoff whistleblower, yeah. not an employee of the company. He was an outside person who observed something that he thought was in, incorrect. And uh, so it, it was drawn, um, the, 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 um, the net was cast quite wide 
for that particular reason. So you don't have to be an insider or an employee of a company to be a whistleblower, like literally anybody. I, I, we receive tips from um, competitors, from ex-spouses who were yeah. relationship soured and they're like, you know what, let me tell you what my boyfriend was doing. Yeah. You know, um, so really anybody can be a whistleblower. Um, and so, and, and U.S. versus um, foreign citizens. Yeah. Again, anybody, anybody. Okay. So okay. Um, to give you an idea, I mean, the whistleblower program, they've received tips from every single state in the United States. Wow. As well as 133 countries worldwide. Wow. And again, hearkening back to the first days of the program, I never, ever thought that we would receive tips from that number of countries. And so um, it, it's really a, a worldwide reach to this program. And it's really yeah. important that, you know, companies really think about that um, when they're considering right. their internal whistleblower policies. The one stat I will tell you, which I always, which I found like it just sort of blew my mind um, based on last year's annual report to Congress. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. There have been whistleblowers who have been paid. So meaning their information was good information and the SEC brought a case um, based on that information in, um, in, in six continents. So you're literally only missing one continent um, where there yeah. is a, a, an SEC whistleblower being paid. So that's like incredible yeah. when you think about that. That, that really, yeah. really is. Are there are there particular, there's a number of questions I want to ask you here, but <laughs> are there particular countries that stand out as submitting most of the um, tips from outside the U.S.? Yeah, so most years there there's like a top five list that I'd say that the those countries have always remained in it they've just sort of moved around yeah. in ranking um yeah right Canada the UK um China India mm -hmm. Australia has been up there so those are usually okay. main countries so every now and then something happens and there's a surprise you know country that all of a sudden there's like a lot of tips from them that particular year yeah not yeah why if there was something that happened with a um, a company that, that may have had operations based there potentially, but right. usually those are the top five countries from outside the U.S. Okay, so these individuals would be, would be reporting on uh, the operations of, of companies that by and large are based in the U.S. and um, have their headquarters here and are subject to the securities laws. So they're they're public companies traded on the exchange. Is that the right way to think about it? That's largely the right way to think about it, though. The SEC has jurisdiction for anyone who trades even um, ADRs, so like American depository receipts can be traded on a U.S. market. So meaning so their, their stock may be traded on a uh -huh. foreign exchange but they they sell something called ADRs to American investors. Okay. And so once that happens, once there's a US investor that can invest their money in that company, right? That is a hook for the SEC. That's a it hook. Is, so yeah. it is very very broad. Very okay, broad. so so and and I also saw in the uh report to Congress that 20% of the awards were were actually made to people, you know, outside the US. And it seems like those numbers continue to rise too. So why, why is that? Do other countries not have a similar program to what the SEC has? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. So I think there's, um, there's a couple of things I would say about that. The U.S., the SEC's program is 
really unique in that it has those three main components that I spoke about, the confidentiality, the anti-retaliation, and the monetary awards. Got it. A lot of programs you see will have confidentiality and anti-retaliation, mm-hmm. but there's no monetary award attached to it. Mm. Um, and so the monetary award, you know, whether people think it's a good thing or a bad thing, right? Because I think people can be split on that. Um, some people might not like that somebody reports because of the money. Yeah. But the fact is, is that the monetary monetary award, I think is a factor in, okay. in people deciding to report. And so I think people may report to their regulator in their particular country, but they're also reporting it out to the U.S. regulator. Oh, okay. So does the um, SEC whistleblower office, if it's an international um, uh, whistleblower, do they coordinate at all with uh, offices in the other in the other jurisdictions, or or not so much, or is that maybe um, on the back end? Yeah, no. At, t- at times, yes. Um, and there's you know laws in certain jurisdictions about. Um, speaking to citizens in those countries. And so there's a lot of things that um, have to be navigated. And so the SEC does have an office of international affairs that, that um, we spoke to quite often. I bet. Yeah. To navigate those issues. Yeah. Okay. So I think what may be on a lot of people's minds right now is just the question of, wow, didn't even, didn't know this was available. So when should someone think about potentially using the SEC whistleblower office? So there's really, anytime there's a, you know, a possible securities law violation, if you're working at a company and you see um, an issue that could be impacting investors, that is when the SEC is interested to receive the information. That said, that said, I think a lot of companies has have some really strong internal reporting structures. Yeah. And I always think it's a good thing to work within a company's internal reporting structures if you can. Yeah. Uh, not every company has is strong in that. There, you know, and and the SEC did choose to empower an individual to determine whether or not they're comfortable oh. reporting internally or reporting out to the SEC. So internal reporting is not required. Okay. And so what that did, right, is is put it on the employers to put it on right. the companies to say, you need to bolster your internal reporting structures, yeah. get people comfortable that if they report that they're not going to be retaliated against or some adverse action isn't going to be taken against them. Because right. I will tell you, when I was the chief of the office of the whistleblower, I saw things happen at companies to someone who reported that just blew up the entire relationship, the entire like employment relationship with this individual. Right. When I think it didn't have to be, it was just the immediate sort of fear that someone's reporting something and Mm -hmm. then holding that person at arm's length and viewing them as the enemy Mm -hmm. instead of somebody who was, you know, a valued employee who saw something, who you know, wanted to bring it to the company's attention. And I do see a lot of missteps in that area. I saw when I was at the SEC and I see it here in private practice. That first touch point with an individual is so critical. But in thinking about your students um, and, and, you know, them going out into the world and being being leaders and potentially being put in a situation Mm -hmm. where they're trying to figure out, um, you know, how to handle something. I mean, it, it, it's, it's difficult to be put in that situation. Um, 
you know, unless you're the, the you know, the CEO of a company or you're the chairman of the board, right? You're always reporting up to somebody. Right. So to me, it's about um, kind of like speaking, speaking truth to power, right? Mm-hmm. So if you see something instead of saying, you know, yes, and just going along with it when you know right. it's unethical or, or worse, illegal, right? right? Probably the worst thing you can do. Um, to me, like taking it and, and, and saying, you know what, here's why this is not correct or accurate. Um, especially when it's crossing over the line to harming investors and, and, and being illegal, it's hard to be in that position. I mean, I've spoken to thousands of whistleblowers and every single one of them would say, I don't want this, but it fell in my lap. And so I've got to deal with it. And so it's, it's a difficult situation. And so I think just, you know, being brave enough to recognize it and to know, okay, you know what, I can't sit here and be complicit in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then raising it internally. And then if that doesn't work, raising it outside. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure like a lot of the future, the students, the, the, the leaders in these companies, I mean, some of them may be in a position quite honestly, where someone's reporting to them, right? Yes. Maybe they're the future you know, general counsels or chief compliance officers or CEOs of companies. And that's an even harder position to be in because you have employees reporting up to you and they're looking at you saying, okay, now what are you going to do about this? Right. That's right. right. And you know, Sydney, from the role you played, it's hard to be in that position, right. And have, have that, um, that on you. So, um, it's hard for the person reporting and it's hard for the, the, um, the, the leader who's taking the report in to know the best thing to do. Yeah. Well, it, it is a hard position and it, it's interesting and, and you encourage people to report internally and, and the uh, report to Congress from the SEC whistleblower office says that most of the award winners uh, from the SEC's office actually did try to use the internal channels first. Um, like at least over half, like 60% and, and of that, you know, 75% of them, I think, um, raise their concerns internally. So over 60% of the award recipients were current or former insiders. Sorry, got that yeah. wrong. So they were current or former employees and the 70, oh, of that group, mm-hmm. 75% of them had tried to raise the issue internally first. So does that just say to you that it isn't like, why, why was there a need then still to go external to that, ex, you know, that those are pretty high numbers. Um, do you think it's companies don't have the good programs or not doing effective investigations or is it just kind of a range of different issues? I think it's a range of different issues. I yeah. agree with you. I think it's an incredibly high number. Yeah. I, and 75% is actually down a little bit. So the year before that, it was like 84%. Mm. So when you think about those numbers though, that is a phenomenal amount of, of, of people who've reported internally. And, and what that means in my, in my eyes is that in 75% of the cases, someone at a company knew that there was an issue, right? Yeah. They, they knew there was an issue and um, they may have taken action and they had done an internal investigation, but the person still chose to report out, right? Mm-hmm. Because the, the truth is there is still a monetary award component to the SEC's program. Yeah. Must report it to the SEC in order to avail yourself of the monetary award. So a lot of times I would see um, employees reporting internally and at the same time reporting to the SEC. Yeah. So they're kind of checking both boxes. Okay. And so okay. it, it doesn't mean that they only um, went one way and then weighed it to see. Got if it. I got it. Yeah. But, but that I makes sense. Heard, yeah. But I had heard many times where employees did report internally and their perception was that 
there was an action being taken or they weren't being taken seriously. It doesn't mean that the company wasn't taking it seriously and wasn't yeah. taking steps. It's just that the communication that the company was given to the whistleblower yeah. was lacking or not what that person wanted to hear. Yeah. And so they felt the need to go outside the company. Yeah. Okay. So we've, we've talked a little bit about the incentives, the monetary awards. Let's, let's talk about that specifically. So what is an average award uh, that, that is given out and how much has been given out overall? How much is typically given out in a year? Like, like what kind of money are we talking about here? So since the beginning of the program, $1.3 billion has been paid to, I think it's around 260 some individuals at this point. Wow. So wait a minute, um, with a B, $1.3 billion yeah. <laughs> in 10 years, that's a lot of, to yeah. 214 people. That's not that many. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a lot. And don't quote me on that number because I could be wrong with that. Yeah. But over but a billion. That, yeah, it's, it's no, no, it's 1.3 billion is the number of individuals. Um, I'm not, I, I could have gone up since, uh, since my last um, looking at that stat. But it, it really is a large number. Um, last fiscal year, the same year that those that large number of tips increased, the number of awards that went out was, was massive. I think it was over half a million dollars in, okay, one, yeah. in one year. Wow. Um, but that was largely because in that year, there were two um, very large awards, $114 million to like in one case to one individual and in the other case I think I think there was people who split that 114 million dollar award. So that's like a massively big that's a big award to pay yeah. out. Now when you ask about the range what the rules say is that the SEC can only pay um, on amounts collected. So okay. there is the um, potential that a whistleblower could get nothing even though mm. they're information was good information, a successful enforcement action was brought. If it was based on something where the wrongdoer dissipated the funds, right? There was investor right, right. that was lost and they, you know, spent it on lavish lifestyles and right. there was just nothing left. Yeah. Um, even though the SEC was able to stop it, stop the fraud from going on, um, there was just nothing to seize and nothing to grab a hold of. Right. Um, and so they can end up like between the, so the range zero to 140 yeah. million is the current range. And so with a lot of in between, a lot of yeah. in between. Um, so it's, it's really hard to know, you know, whether or not you're actually going to get um, to get an award. I will say though, that the SEC does do a good job, especially if there's a whistleblower involved in investors that have been harmed of keeping track of wrongdoers and if they're, you know, getting um, money from another source or they seize, uh, in one instance, I know they seized, you know, properties and paintings off of walls and stuff mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. order to auction them off to pay um, investors back. Mm -hmm. and, 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 part, and part of that money then went to the, to the whistleblower. Well, it didn't reduce what's paid to an investor. I should clarify that. The whistleblower awards never reduce what's paid to an investor. There's just a separate fund Got it. Um, that's put in place. But Got it. So, so, so the, the range is all over the board. All over the board. Okay, so let's talk about retaliation for a minute because one of the main reasons people don't return report, whether it's internally or I would imagine externally, is they just, they're worried about retaliation. Yeah. And um, I believe that's a separate claim uh, that can be made uh, to the SEC. And in fact, you all have brought, uh, even while you were there, some of the first anti-retaliation claims. Can you tell us a little bit about how that works? Yeah. So the uh, under the Dodd-Frank Act, 
um, the SEC was given the authority, the enforcement power to bring charges against a company for retaliating against a whistleblower, which really gave the, in my opinion, the whistleblower program, like really some teeth, right? So, yeah. um, so meaning it's the first time that this agency had been allowed to bring um, a case against a company and charge, you know, real fines against a company for retaliating against a whistleblower, not to mention the embarrassment, right, of a, being a company that had retaliated yeah. and had kind of all over the place. Yeah. Um, so there, you mentioned there's been four to date and that is correct. The reason that there's only been four, when you think about the number of whistleblowers have been paid, um, it doesn't mm -hmm. mean that there's only been four people retaliated against. Um, right. There was a Supreme Court case that was brought um, the, it, by a company called Digital Realty. And in that case, they challenged the SEC's authority to um, bring retaliation charges against them when the whistleblower did not report the information to the SEC. Because the uh, way the SEC viewed it was, well, they reported internally, and so they're protected, even mm -hmm. if they come to us later. And what the mm -hmm. Supreme Court said is, no, the information has to be reported to the commission, to the SEC, first before the retaliation um, takes place. And so that, you know, caused... Um, you know, kind of a ripple effect, right? Where you, you have to find that that right fact pattern where somebody yeah, reported to the SEC and then the retaliation took place. As you can imagine, yeah. a lot of times what happens, somebody reports internally, there's an adverse employment action that's taken. And then they're like, yes. hold on a second, I'm going to report out. Right. Um, and unfortunately, that, that chain of events, that timeline does not work for the SEC to be able to bring an enforcement wow. action. There is still you know, uh, statutes that do cover those individuals for retaliation and, and um, usually it's under the Sarbanes-Oxley um, Act. So there okay. is a path forward for them. It's just that the SEC cannot bring bring a case against a company. Okay. okay, okay, very good. So this has been really great information. There's just one other area I wanna explore with you just a little bit because we've been focused purely on the SEC whistleblower office. But I really think that that office in the past 10 years sort of set a great example for other federal whistleblower programs as well. So do you have a sense of how many different whistleblower programs there are federal whistleblower programs? And what does somebody do if, like, how do they know where to go? And what if they're like, have a concern with a private company? Is there any recourse there? Yeah, there's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a really good question. So there are a lot of federal programs. Um, more and more, I think, seeing the success of the SEC's whistleblower program, uh -huh. there have been more federal whistleblower programs that have those three components, the money, the confidentiality, and the anti-retaliation protection yep. right. that have been popping up. So I'll give you two main examples. So there's one under the, um, the National Highway Transportation Safety um, Administration. Mm. They mm -hmm. have one for whistleblowers who report problems related to um, like cars, right? Got cars it. Defect, okay. Uh, defect, things like that, that might impact, um, the automotive safety. Sure. And I know they have paid out whistleblower awards. Another new one that, um, just actually came out within the last year or so is under the anti-money laundering act. There's yes. a new whistleblower program. Again, the exact same three components as the SEC's the um, community uh, um, Commodity Futures Trading Commission also has a mirror 
it really is like a sister program to the SECs because their uh, program was put in place the exact same time as the SECs. Mm. For people who aren't familiar with that, the CFTC um, is a sister organization to the SEC. It's just they have a much smaller jurisdiction. Got so it. they um, don't probably grab as many headlines or pay as many awards as yeah. the SEC, but mostly because their jurisdiction is smaller, yeah. but they have the yeah. same type of program. Yeah. Yeah. And the other one that I can think of that pays a monetary award uh-huh. is the Internal Revenue Service. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that one is that one um is the other one that pays a, a monetary award. Um if if there's a if they are not a public company, mm-hmm. um, I mean there's various places that that people can go. Um there's also state the state regulators. Oh, okay, good. Now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um the one thing I would say is even if there is a, a an issue that gets reported to the SEC and it's something that the SEC can't handle, uh-huh. they do share information. Okay, um, good to um, know. Consistent with the confidentiality obligations right. that they have for whistleblowers, but they right. do share it with other organizations or law enforcement partners because if right. there's something happening that should be stopped, got it. Um, if the SEC doesn't have jurisdiction, they're going to pass it on. Got it. Okay. Well, Jane, I want to thank you again so much for your time. This has been a great conversation. I have a fun question to end on though. What's the best like book you've read or podcast or documentary you've seen or something that really speaks to this issue? Um, mainstream media that kind of highlights this issue of speaking up and whistleblowing that uh, piqued your interest. Yeah, there's a lot of good ones, but the there was a book um that was written called Crisis of Conscience by Tom Mueller. Um, Tom and I have been on a couple of panels together. He's very smart. He's done a lot of research into this topic and spent years, honestly, talking and interviewing different whistleblowers on different areas. Uh And I thought it was a really compelling, a really compelling read. Um, Tom and I don't necessarily agree on some of the SEC thoughts that he has in there, but other than that, I think it's a, and he he and I have spoken about that, but I think it's a great book. I actually think, and I would recommend. um, Great. Wonderful. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Jane, thanks again. This has been wonderful. Appreciate your time very much. It was a very informative uh, session. Appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Business Integrity School. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcast by simply searching for the Business Integrity School. Be sure to subscribe and rate us and tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.